0: Good morning, church. It's great to see. If you've got your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you're joining us for the first time in a while, or maybe for the first time ever, we're glad you're here. Um, you are catching us two-thirds of the way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're ending chapter 6 today. Um, all of those messages are available online if you want to catch back up. Um, but we are working our way through. We will cover Matthew 6, 25 through 34 today. And uh, we were we will be talking about um, a subject that Jesus addresses. And uh, trust me, uh, there is no need for me to be the Holy Spirit this morning or to guess. Um, We're talking about being anxious. And uh, we all have different things um, that stir that up within us. And we're going to talk about those. So hopefully by now you've gotten to uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you look at verse 25, and we always pray before we dive into it and we're about to pray. But I want to point out something um, because it kind of is going to dictate what we're about to do. Um, If you look at verse 25, the first word in that passage is what? What does it say? Therefore. Um, And it's corny, but just bear with my corniness as I teach this morning. Um, Anytime you see a therefore in the scriptures, you need to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Um, Essentially, when you and I, when we use therefore in the English language, it's, Saying in light of something that has previously been said, here's something, here's a truth, here's a principle, here's a point. Therefore, here's what we do in response. So, for us to miss or to run by, to not kind of review, we're not going to teach it over again. But for the sake of our reading, when I have you stand, we're going to read Matthew 6 19 through 34 so that we can use 19 through 24 as kind of a runway into our passage for this morning because Jesus is referencing. The truth that he has communicated and that we studied last week. Does that make sense? So hopefully you're there by now on your device or the verses will be on the screen, but if you want to stand for the reading of God's word, we would ask you to do that. If you're a guest, we're not trying to be weird, uh, but we are trying to give ourselves a physical reminder that this is not just another book, um, that this is God's very word, that he has Um, sovereignly ordained and preserved for our benefit so that we can know him, that we can enjoy him, that we can um, obey him, and that we can be a part of his great kingdom work in this world. So um, we don't change this book to fit in our lives. Uh, We change our lives to submit to what this book has to say. So let me read this, Matthew 6. I'm going to start in verse 19. This is um, the section that we covered last week. He says this, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal.'" But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, what a tough passage. Father, give us humble hearts to receive your word. God, give us courageous hearts to obey it. Um, God, we don't need three tips this morning to be less anxious. We need to remember the gospel. So God, um, set our minds on you, fix our hearts on what you've done, and God, give us the security in the gospel, give us identity in the gospel to therefore obey um, your commands. God, that we would seek your kingdom and not seek the things of this world. Um, so God, give us the, um, the ability to receive that. Father, I can't change a heart. I can't sanctify a single person in here. Um, but God, I'm grateful that you promise us in your word that you can. Um, that you change hearts, that you conform us to the image of your Son, that you transform us as we behold your Word. So, God, do that now. Do what you have promised you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for standing during that. Um, I do want to mention one disclaimer as we jump into this this morning. Um, There are essentially two different kinds of anxiety, and uh, I want to make sure that we all are aware that Jesus is not talking about, in this passage, he's not talking about the chemical, um, medically diagnosed, chemical imbalance, biological anxiety. Um, He is talking about, and we'll see in the text, this circumstantial um, earthly circumstances and needs and wants and all of those things. He's talking about circumstantial anxiety. Um, He's not talking about a medically diagnosed chemical imbalance. I do want to say this, though. Both of those are a result of the fall biological, medical anxiety is just as much a result of the fall in Genesis 3 as circumstantial worry and anxiety and lack of trust and faith and all of those things. Both are a result of the fall. One just affects us biologically. Um, here's the bad news this morning is that Genesis 3, the fall of man, sin entering the world, didn't just affect you know, our thoughts. It affected our bodies, <laughs> that our bodies are broken, that they decay, that they don't function as they were intended. And so do our minds and our thoughts and our emotions and all those things, that we're not just broken on the outside, we're broken on the inside. We're broken in our own bodies. Um, So that's the bad news. The good news is that Christ came to redeem both, so that there will be a day when there is no earthly circumstantial anxiety, where everything will be at peace, and there's going to be a day where there's no biological medical anxiety either. And we look forward to that day, we long for that day, and God in His grace has um, purchased that day for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. And until that day, he's given us his spirit and his presence and the common grace of modern medicine to cope and to deal with and to medicate the biological anxiety and all those things. But I do want to distinguish this morning. I'm not talking about that. So when I talk about don't be anxious, um, some of those things that you, you just can't control that in your own body. Um, and Jesus isn't um, telling you to do that either. So I want to make that clear, but we are going to talk about anxiety this morning, and uh, I remember um, some of you might remember this situation uh, i don 't know how serious it was um, when you were a senior in college, freshman or senior in high school, freshman in college. Uh, but I remember the most frustrating thing uh, we 've got some seniors in here this morning, uh, some of the first, some in this service. The most frustrating thing about being a senior in high school was everyone and you know people were just making conversation, but everyone asking me. Essentially, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Like tell me your life plan. Um, You know, and then you start to think about all of these things and all these decisions you have to make. And it's it's pretty unrealistic for an 18-year-old to have the rest of their life planned out. And if you're a senior in here, you don't have to, by the way. Um, No one does. And you won't. But you've got to make these decisions about where am I going to go? What school am I going to go to? What major do I want to have? What career do I want to have? And then what does that mean I want to study? And what I want to study determines where I go to school and where I go to school determines you know where I'm going to live and where I'm going to live and what courses I'm going to take. And then i got to focus on all those things and signing up for my courses and getting there on time and doing all those things. And then i got to focus on... Um, you know when I'm going to graduate, and how long that's going to take, and what are my summers going to be like, and if I'm going to job, how am I going to pay for all this? Are my parents going to pay? Are they going to help me pay? Do I have scholarships? I got to maintain the grades to get the scholarships. I got to do all these things, and then I meet somebody, and it's like, oh man. I have a social life, too, and it's like, I don't even know, like, you know, do I text? Do I not text? Do I call? Do I not call? Do people call anymore? Do we just send messages? Do we slide in the DMs? Do we do all those things? What is the date now in these days in 2022? Like, do we go to coffee shops, or is that too, you know, intense? Is that too serious? Do we go to a movie, or is that not serious enough? And then, you know, do I want to be with this person? Do I not? Do I call too much? Do I text too much? Do we interact? Do we hang out? Do I want to marry this person or not? Okay, if I am, where are we going to live? Where are we going to go? What kind of house are we going to have? Are we going to have kids? If so, how many? And then are they going to go to public school, private school, homeschool? And then what are we going to do? What are their careers going to be? How are we going to provide for all these munchkins? And then you're like, oh, yeah. In the meantime, all throughout that, I've got to remind all of you that my life's going great on social media. So then I get on Instagram and I get on Facebook and I post all these things. And then suddenly anxiety is just a normal part of life, isn't it? Because we're just the person who's spinning all the plates, and you just got to keep them going and keep them afloat and keep them up in the air. And then this starts to fall, and we go over here, and we got to keep that one moving again. And we find ourselves just living in a world of anxiety, don't we? And the good news this morning is that Jesus has a lot to say about anxiety. And I want you to see this. As we read this text, um, I know there's a lot of verses, so you might have, you know, do what I do and you zone out or you think about something else and all that's totally fine. But if you look at this passage as a whole, Jesus is contrasting two things. He's contrasting being anxious about the earth and the things of this earth and seeking the kingdom of God. And I want you to see just as a whole, as he unpacks this argument, he's Essentially, we've looked at the, the pairs all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the two treasures, the two ways to interpret the law, the two rewards, the two ways to give, the two ways to fast. Now we've got two things to pursue in our lives based off of, remember he says, therefore, therefore I tell you, in light of which treasure you're going to pursue, here's, how, here's your ambitions, here's how you move about your life. And he's going to tell us, essentially, we've got two options. Care about the things of the world or seek the kingdom of God. And I want you to see, before we even start kind of dissecting the verses and the phrases and all those things, what Jesus is telling us here is that some of us, for most of us, one of your greatest threats to seeking the kingdom of God and living out the kingdom of God in your life is anxiety. It's you being paralyzed by worry and being anxious about the things of the world. And if we're honest, most of us, our greatest problem isn't our problems It's the anxiety about our problems, isn't it? It's not the circumstances. It's us worrying and being anxious and being paralyzed about the circumstances that cripples us from seeking God's kingdom. But I want you to see this. It's a big deal that for most of us, one of the greatest hindrances, roadblocks for us to living out the kingdom of God, to knowing God and enjoying him forever and knowing him and making him known in this world is going to be us worrying about earthly stuff. It just is. And all throughout the day, there are times when my eyes are fixed on him and his kingdom, and then there are eyes times where my eyes get fixed on earthly circumstances and I start to worry. And let me just say this, in light of this previous passage, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, one of the biggest signs of what you're currently treasuring is what you get anxious about. The telltale sign of where your treasure is is where you're getting anxious. So join me in my misery this week as I've been studying. Think about the last week, the last two weeks of your life. What have you gotten anxious about? Is it the gospel going to the ends of the earth? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it more stuff, earthly things, schedule conflicts, issues? bills, things, and those all have their proper place. Jesus doesn't say it's a sin to think about them. What does he say? He says, don't worry about them. Don't get anxious about them. Don't stress about them. And we'll look at that. But I want you to see that one of the biggest indicators of where our treasure is is what we find ourselves getting anxious about. And if we are constantly getting anxious about the things of this world, then it's the telltale sign that our eyes are not fixed on the kingdom that we're not seeking what God is doing in the world and what he's up to because we're too busy worried about and thinking about our little kingdoms here on this earth. So I want you to see that before we dive dive in. But let's look at it. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, I won't read you the paragraph. I made the mistake of reading it in the first service. But John Stott in his commentary um, starts this whole section with essentially saying, it is a pity that this passage often gets taught separated from the passage before it, the don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, because it is directly connected. In fact, in the Greek construction, it says literally says, on account of this, or because of this, because of what Jesus has just said, don't be anxious about the things of this earth. And Jesus is gonna tell us, don't be anxious three times. He's gonna say it here in verse 25, he'll say it again in verse 31, he'll say it again in verse 34. Why? And what did we learn about earthly treasures in the last Section last week that they don't last. Earthly treasures are futile, that they can darken our eyes. They have a tendency to capture our hearts. And if we're not careful, they can become our master. They can become the thing that we're after to provide significance for us, security for us. It is so, it's a slippery slope. We talked about this last week for us to take an earthly thing, this good gift from God, and make it God make it the thing that we're trying to find our our significance and our worth and our value from, we can turn good gifts into really bad gods. And we can start to serve them and run after them thinking that they'll fill some void in us. And they won't, right? It doesn't matter if you have a Ferrari. You're still you. You're just you and a Ferrari. Earthly things will not fix the, the problems in our soul, will not fix the void of longing for identity and for purpose and for worth and for value. It doesn't matter how shiny your stuff is. Earthly things will never fill that void. You can have all the money in the world and all the money in the world will buy you a big table, but money won't put people around the table who love you and who care for you and who respect you. Seeking the kingdom of heaven will. You can have 1,200 square feet or you can have 12,000 square feet. Money can buy that. But money cannot put people in that home that care about you and love you and cherish you and enjoy being with you. Only seeking the kingdom of heaven can do that. And I didn't mention this last week, but the good news about the gospel is that even all of these earthly treasures, these crowns that we receive when we get to glory, Christianity is the only belief system where we get those things and in light of the real treasure, Jesus himself, we throw those back to him. And we say, we'd rather have you than those things. You're the treasure. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, in light of all those things, let's talk about the things of this earth. In light of you seeking the things of heaven, seeking treasures in heaven, having a good eye and seeing that you were put here to impact the kingdom of heaven by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, You were meant here to serve one master, and it's not possessions, it's not things. Let's talk about your things. Let's talk about the stuff. And then he says this. um, Let's read. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. So he gives us this command, this imperative, stop being anxious about those things, three different times in this section. And then I love the big, kind of the overall heading reason that he gives us is your life is so much more than food. Your life is so much more than things. You are created for so much more than just stuff, than eating and drinking and clothing. You are created for so much more than that. And here's the thing. He puts it in the form of a question, but it's a rhetorical question. Is not life more than food? The implication is yes. Your life is so much more than just food and sustenance and drink and clothing. And what Jesus is saying here, and this is what we need to realize, that you and I were created for something so much more than the things of this earth. Our life is so much more than just our next meal to keep ourselves alive. This is actually what separates us from the animals that you and I were created with this, Genesis calls it the image of God on us, this ability to think and to reason and to worship and to love and to cherish things, to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe, not just rationally, but emotionally. Like animals don't do that. They're just creation. They serve a purpose. They were created by God, but they're not like us. They live for the next meal. They live for sustenance, the circle of life. They just do their thing. You and I, we're created for so much more than that. Jesus is saying, your life is so much more than just getting by, than just staying alive. And God created us. He created our lives. We talk about this often. The biggest lie that you and I believe is the lie of certainty, that I'm the one keeping myself alive right now. Like, how foolish of me to think that. God could drop me in a moment, right, before I finish this sermon. He sure could. I am so much more fragile than I want the world to know. And I go to great lengths to put on nice clothing and all those things to make it look like that I'm in control of all this. Imagine if you were in control of of keeping your life together, of sustaining your own breath and your own blood flow and all of those things. You, You can't. And the beautiful thing is Jesus is telling us here that not only did God create our lives, he sustains our lives, Colossians 1 By him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. And he's holding my life together right now. He's holding my circumstances together. I'm not keeping this together. I'm not keeping me alive. My life could change in in an instant. With an accident, with a tragedy, with a phone call or a text message that somebody else that I love was hurt, with a diagnosis from the doctor. The biggest lie we believe is certainty. And Jesus is telling us that he created our lives He is sustaining our lives. He created your body and he is sustaining your body. And if God is sovereign over and loves and by his mercy and grace, he is ruling over all of those things, your health and your life and your breath and your lungs, you think he's gonna provide the food and the drink and the clothing? You think he's gonna take care of the little things? If God is sovereignly in control over the big things, do you not think he's gonna give you your daily bread and your provisions? Jesus is starting with the big argument that you and I, we are created for something so much more than just being consumed by the next thing, the next shiny, new, earthly treasure. Don't get anxious about those things. Your life is so much more than that. You are created for so much more than that. You are created not to just get by, but to know the God of the universe and enjoy Him forever, to know Him inti- intimately and to make Him known to the world. You and I get the privilege. And it is a free gift. It's not a right. We're not entitled to it. A free gift of God's grace that you and I get to be a part of making his kingdom come throughout the earth. Through our living out and our preaching of the gospel. With our neighbors, our friends, our family, you name it. God's taking care of those things. Do you not think he's going to take care of the little things? And I want to be clear. I want to acknowledge that there are people in parts of the world that do get really anxious and do actually genuinely wonder where their next meal is going to come from and where water is going to come from and where their sustenance is going to come from. And this text still applies. Another side note, Bible interpretation tool, if someone's preaching to you and what they're saying to you only applies to Christians in America, then there's a good chance that it's not biblical. That's not what the scriptures say. God is concerned with all peoples, of all nations, of every tribe, tongue, nation, language. And he the, the same warning would be true. Even in those places where it's incredibly hard to find food, to find water, if that sums up our life as just pursuing after the next meal, and we don't realize that there is a God out there that we are created for to know and to be a part of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, then we've still missed it. That even those people, their life is created for so much more than just Staying alive. And I would argue, and I think Jesus is going to argue this in a few verses, that the fact that there is hunger in our world is not a divine provision problem. It's not because God hasn't allowed the earth to produce enough food and water and sustenance. It's a human distribution problem, is what it is. The earth has certainly produced enough food and the sea has produced enough food and water. To provide for God's people. The problem is a human distribution problem. Is we take and we hoard and we keep and we build our little kingdoms and we manipulate and we sell and we try to make a profit and we do all those kind of things. And I'm not against business or anything like that. Jesus isn't against that. But the problem is not a divine provision problem. And he's saying that all of us, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, we were created, our lives are so much more than just the next meal. Just staying alive and keep breathing that we are created for something eternal. Ecclesiastes chapter three, he said eternity on the human heart. That you and I, there's something in us that longs for, why am I here and what is this about? What's my purpose here? And Jesus is saying that we, if we get caught up in just the next thing, the next new possession, the next shiny thing, then we're derailed, we're not seeking the kingdom and we're missing what we were created for. So he starts there and then he says this in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And I love this. The word look at there in the Greek is the word that means consider, to think about. And in our anxiety, in our worry, I want you to see this. Jesus calls us to think that Christianity, that following Jesus is a rational thing. It's not blind faith. It's not, ah, just quit and just trust God. No, he calls us to right thinking. That when you and I, when we get anxious, when we get caught up in the things of this earth and all the things that, you know, whatever stresses you out, if it's career, if it's kids, if it's a combination of the two, if it's extracurriculars, if it's just the schedule in general, if it's finances, if it's bills, you name it. That all of us, when we get caught up in that, what we need to do is think rightly. He replaces anxiety with right theology. And what does he tell us to do? He tells us to think. And he tells us to think about and look at and consider the birds. And what does he say? They don't sow, they don't reap. They're not, you don't see birds out there working the ground and planting seeds. What do they do? They just fly around, carefree. And what does he say? Your heavenly father feeds them. And before we dive into even what that means, I want you to see this just try this. Next time you get anxious, I want you seriously to try this, to go to a window, go sit on the porch, and just look at the birds and watch what happens. They're like to, to, to Statistically, um, chemically, biologically, when you separate yourself from a situation and you go and sit and you just stare and you get natural light in front of you, just watch the anxiety fall. There's a reason Jesus said this, and there's a reason science backs it up, because he's the author of all truth. I did a lot of work a couple years ago at this kind of um, week-long therapy-intensive thing, doing a lot of hard work just around me and some bunch of things, and uh, one of the things that they recommended is that every morning, every single person needs about 20 minutes of natural light to start their day. Physiologically, to get your body going, to get your brain functioning right, what we don't need is to wake up half asleep and do this, right? But this is what we do, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and like, like something happened on my phone notification-wise that, that needs my attention as soon as I wake up in the morning or my world's gonna fall apart. Statistically, biologically, scientifically, it is good for your body and your brain function for you to get up and to spend 15 to 20 minutes just near a window and let the light come in. And not put our faces in screens all the time. So just try it. Before we get in, even into what the verse means, just next time you get anxious, I want you to go out on the porch or walk to the window and just look out at the birds. Look at how much they're worrying and they're stressing and how anxious they are and how they're just flipping out about where their next worm's gonna come from, right? They don't, do they? And what does Jesus tell us? What does he say? Look at the birds, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Notice he doesn't say the birds' heavenly Father feeds them. What does he say? Your heavenly Father feeds them, separating us from the creation, that you are different, that God created creation and it has its purpose, but you and I are set apart. We have the image of God on us where you and I, we can intimately know the God of the universe and spend time with him and talk to him and pray to him and he can speak to us in his word and we can enjoy fellowship with him. Birds can't do that. And Jesus is saying, these created beings who have no intimate relationship with God, look how much he feeds them. Do you not think he's gonna take care of you? His son or daughter whom he loves? You think he's going to look after you and give you what you need and take care of your life? They're not worrying. Why are you worrying? Charles Spurgeon says this. I think it's funny, but it's you kind of have to laugh because it's so true and you don't want to cry, but he says this. Charles Spurgeon says, You see, God is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Next time you and I get anxious, let the birds preach to us. We're not worried. You're worth more to him than us. Why are you worried? Why are you stressing out? Why are you getting anxious? Let the birds be your preacher next time you get anxious. Let them preach to you and remind you of God's sovereign care and his love for you. Why? Because not their heavenly, your heavenly father. Yes, God is the father of all things. He's the creator of all things, but we get to know him intimately. Our heavenly father takes care of them. How much more valuable are we than they are? And notice he says, your heavenly father feeds them. This isn't like a passive thing where God just set up the world, like set up the machine to run and then just steps back and lets the thing run. No, like this passage has a very high view of God's sovereign hand over all of life. That God has appointed every worm and every insect for every end destination. That every bird is going to get taken care of. And God has sovereignly picked each worm that's going to show up from the ground at the right time. And the right bird is going to come and get the meal that it needs. That God is sovereign over all of that. Matthew 10, Jesus is talking about something different. But he says, no sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's will. That God's sovereign over it all. He is sovereign personally, intimately, sovereign over making sure that every single little bird gets a meal. And how much more important to you, how much more important to God are you than birds? You think he's gonna provide for you and care for you and take care of you? And I would venture to say that if we were honest, let's get, you know, is it, is it okay to be honest in here? Um, most of us, myself included, We're not concerned about our lives. We're concerned about our livelihood. Right? I've never had to wonder where my next meal is going to come from. What I wonder is what kind of meal is it going to be? And how nice is it going to be? We're not concerned. We don't get anxious about our living. We get anxious about our standard of living. Don't we? That this is a whole nother level of, you know, we're way off. If we're getting anxious about those things. When Jesus, like there's, there's people in our world who are anxious about the next meal and Jesus is preaching to them saying, don't worry about that. And we're getting anxious about what kind of meal and how nice of a meal it's gonna be. But Jesus is saying, he, I intimately, sovereignly take care of every single bird. I feed them all. How much more valuable are you to me than they are? And then he says this. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And I love this. Jesus is going to appeal emotionally to how much he loves us, right? He's appealed kind of on a grand scale about our lives. We are created for more than just being caught up in the the cares of the world. You and I were created for a a better world than that, a a greater purpose than that. And then he appeals to us emotionally and says, how much does God love you more than he cares about the birds? And now he's going to appeal to us logically when it comes to our anxiety. That biblically, anxiety about earthly things is totally unproductive. Jesus tells us, it doesn't add a single thing to your life. Not a single thing. That when you get crippled by anxiety and you start to worry and stress out, it doesn't solve the problem, does it? It just paralyzes you. One of the things I found out when I went to this place, I mean, this place was a godsend for me and it really helped me kind of navigate some things in my life, but uh, one of the things that I found out, I was midway through school when I went and was kind of made aware of all of my brokenness and uh, um, realized that one of the things, we all do this, this is my story, but it's probably you probably have a a similar story with a similar version, but um, whenever you and I feel stressed, when we feel anxious, we don't want to feel that thing, so what do we do? We turn to something else, a medicator of choice. It could be a substance, it could be work, it could be a bottle, it could be productivity, it could be pornography, it could be more possessions, more things, it could be retail therapy, it could be food, but we all turn to something because we don't wanna feel that thing. We get stressed, we get anxious, and we go, ooh, I don't like to feel that thing, so what do we do? We kind of put that aside, and we pick up this thing. I wanna, you know, this, feeling this makes me not have to feel that. The affirmation from this, you know, I feel connected, I feel significant, people are liking my stuff, I need to post something else so that people affirm me more, that we all say, I don't like to feel stressed, I don't like to feel the stress of my job, the stress of money in the bank, the stress of how are we gonna pay for all this, the stress of my kids are acting crazy, I don't wanna feel all that, I don't wanna deal with that, so I turn to this thing. And pretty soon, you've mowed the lawn, you've cut the grass, you've cleaned out the garage, and you didn't realize how angry you were until you stopped and sat down and started to think about it again, right? Right? clean the house, and then you finally realize just how furious and how stressed and how anxious you are. And we all do this. And the problem is, and I noticed this, so I would have mountains of homework during the week. Two and a half years of seminary, trying to fly through, tons of homework during the week, job during the day, up here in that office doing schoolwork at night. And I would get so stressed about the mountain of work that I would have to do that I would put that down, I would pick this up, and two hours go by, And then the problem is I put this down, I go back to my work, and now none of it's done. And now I have less time to do it. You see what anxiety does? It just multiplies as you put it off and as you medicate it. It doesn't deal with it. I just medicated that feeling. I don't want to feel that. And then you come back to your problem and you haven't dealt with it. And now you've got less time to deal with it and more stuff to deal with. And this was the cycle that I would be on over and over and over again. Jesus is telling us here that anxiety, being anxious, doesn't add a single hour of your life. It doesn't add, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't. And then he says, it's not only unproductive, but it's unnecessary. He's already told us in this section, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Four verses later, five verses later in verse 32, he'll say it again. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. It's not only unproductive, but it's just unnecessary. He knows what you need. He knows what you're going to need tomorrow. He knows what you're going to need next week. All the things that you and I haven't even thought about. He knows what you're going to need exactly when you need it. So it's unproductive. It's unnecessary. And then lastly, like we've said, it's unworthy. It is unworthy of this God-given call on our lives, especially if you are in Christ, that you were created to know God and be about the things of God and help others know God and love others so that they will see God, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God. And how unworthy of us to say no thanks to that, God, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm gonna stress and worry about this next thing that I've gotta do. I'm gonna get anxious and get caught up in these things. It is a massive indicator that that's not my treasure and this is my treasure. I'm not choosing him, I'm choosing me. God, you're not going to take care of me, so I'm going to take care of me. And then we stop seeking his kingdom and we start trying to keep and protect and build our own. I got to get more of mine. You see the difference? And then he says this. He moves from adding to our lives to uh, verse 28 where he talks about clothing. He says, "Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So not just birds, these living things, these creatures that God created. Now he's getting to the flowers, which are beautiful, and yes, they're living, and the grass is living. But all throughout Scripture, the grass is this symbol, often used in Scripture, this metaphor of things that fade away super quickly. First Peter, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. That all throughout Psalms, grass is meant to depict something that's here for one second and gone the next, that it just burns up really quick. So these birds that have a longer lifespan, God cares for them, he loves them so much more, he loves you so much more than he loves them. And now look at the grass that's here for one second and it's gone the next. He says, today is alive, tomorrow's burned up in the oven. God clothes them. God clothes the lilies, and they're way more beautiful than Solomon ever was. If God in his grace and his kindness would make the grass look more beautiful than the wisest and wealthiest man to ever live, don't you think he's going to take care of your clothes and your needs? He calls us to consider and to think and to look in the midst of our anxiety. Think about how much God loves you. Think about how much God is sovereign and in control of this world. Think about how much he cares for you. More than these things. Let the birds, let the grass preach how much God loves us. More than them. So he says that, and then he says this, "O you of little faith. And I love that. He says little faith here, and it's meant to be a condemnation and a rebuke, and it is that when we get anxious about the things of this world, it is a clear sign that we're not seeking God, that we're not treasuring him, that we're not trusting him. God, you seem to not care about what's going on in my life, so I'm gonna care, and I'm gonna get mine, and I'm gonna protect this thing. God, I can't trust you to do it, so I'm gonna go and do it myself. And it shows a lack of faith that God knows what we need and cares about what we need and has the power to give us what we need. But if we're honest most of the time, we don't like what God says we need. Because if I'm honest, most of the time, what I need is not more stuff. It's not a newer and shinier version of the same old thing. Most times, if I'm being honest, I need less things so I can experience more of God. But boy, we don't like to think about that and talk about that. So we say, God... Clearly, if you're not giving me this, it's because you don't care and I don't trust what you know is best and what you have is good for me, so I'm gonna go and get mine. I'm gonna go and build my own kingdom and protect my own kingdom and defend my own kingdom. And here's what's interesting about this. Whether you have a lot of faith, whether you have a little faith, whether you have no faith, God in his common grace provides for all of them. Whether you don't even trust or acknowledge that God is real or you barely believe or you fully believe that God's gonna provide... God is so gracious and so kindness that as Matthew says, he makes the rain and the sun rise on the just and the unjust. That God in his goodness and his kindness, he provides for the atheist and the believer, the post-Christian, those that hate God. God provides for all of them. But for us who are in Christ as believers, that when we get anxious about the things of the world, it is a telltale sign that we're treasuring this instead of treasuring him, and that we're trusting in this and not trusting in him. If I get caught up and anxious about the next thing, about the next appointment, about the schedule, about all those things, it's because I think that if I can just have control of the schedule, then I'll feel complete. Then I'll be at peace. If I can just get the next promotion, if I can just get a few more dollars in the bank, then I'll feel significant. And what is it a sign of? We are trusting in earthly things instead of trusting in God to be our significance, to be our security, to be our joy. God, I don't think you're going to do it, so I'm going to go and worry about and stress about and go and try to accumulate more stuff. This is what Jesus is getting at. Two disclaimers as we kind of round third. One of those is that nowhere in this, don't take it too literally where Jesus is calling us to not work. Jesus is not preaching this and saying this, so believers, you and I, we just get to sit at home and not do anything, and God sends provision like Amazon Prime. We just wake up, and it's at the doorstep. That's not what he's saying. This is not an excuse for believers to not work. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, for those amongst you that aren't working, they don't get to eat. That biblical responsibility still applies. That God has provided you. He's given you provision. And most of you, most of us, all of us, it's the ability to think and to have wisdom and to have skills and have talents and to be passionate about things so that we can work and therefore we can eat. He's given us provision. It doesn't say God hand feeds the birds. It says he feeds them, but they still work for it. They still go and get it. Same thing for us. Um, Funny story, I guess. Um, Hudson Taylor Um, in 1853, was sailing to China. And you know, talk about taking the text a little too literally, was uber spiritual. I don't know so much about the guy, but a storm comes off the coast when he's headed to China. And he thought that putting on a life jacket would be not trusting in God to take care of him. Hey, if I put this on, it's just a sign that I'm not trusting that God's gonna provide for me. And he learned after the fact, somehow he survived the storm, And then he says this, he says, the use of means ought not to lessen our faith in God and our faith in God ought not to hinder our using whatever means he has given us for the accomplishment of his purposes. So when the storm comes, what is he saying? He's saying, don't put the life jacket next to you and say, God, I'm trusting you to provide. When God's saying, I provided a life jacket. It's there, I've given it to you. And Jesus, the same way, he's not saying, God, I'm just gonna sit at home and you promised me in your word that you're gonna provide. And what's God's response? No, I've provided. I've given you health. I've given you a, a smart mind. I've given you skills. I've given you passion. I've given you effort. I've given you the energy to go and clock in and do your work so that you can eat. He has given us provision. He has provided. So he's not saying that you and I just don't work. But at the same time, we're not exempt from work and i would also say we're not exempt from the responsibility of others and like i said earlier that the means by which god wants to feed the world is through us we're the means we're the life jacket we can't just you know sit on our hands and say god you promised you provide for me and you promised you'll provide for them so i'm just going to hold on to mine and god looks at us and says no you're the means my church is the means This is what the church is. Let me just say this. If you have a need among you in our church, let us know. That's what the body of believers is. Acts 2, Acts 4, what they do? They came together so that no one had need. Because with need comes doubt and temptation and wandering and sin and all of those things. God's means for you to not have need is us. It's the church. It's what we do. Jesus says, when you've given to them, you've given to me. God's means to feed the world is the church. It's us. We're the means. So we don't get to sit here and say, I don't get to work because he'll provide and I don't have to give because God says he'll provide for them. No, what if we're the way that God's gonna provide for them? We don't get excused from helping others either. Does that make sense? I just wanna clarify those things. We might be the very agents by which God provides for his children. Like I said, it's not a provision problem. It's a human distribution problem. So then he says this, verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then he says this, For the Gentiles seek after these things. And I said this a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind you, you have got some new folks in the room. Sometimes in the Bible, Gentiles refers to non-Jewish people who believe in Jesus, Sometimes, also in the Bible, though, the word Gentiles, the Greek word for Gentiles, the word ethnos, it's where we get the word ethnicities from. It means pagans, it means unbelievers, it means the nations out there, and this is used in the negative sense here. He's not talking about believers, he's using this to say... Don't be anxious, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear, because the unbelieving nations, those people out there, they get consumed with those things. And notice what he says. Verse 31, if you look at 31 and 32 back to back, he uses these two phrases interchangeably. He says, don't be anxious about these things, saying, you know, what do we eat, what do we drink, what do we wear? And then he says, the Gentiles seek after those things. He uses, be anxious And seeking after, synonymously, interchangeably, that the things that you and I treasure, if they're the things of this earth, we will seek after them. We will get anxious about them, we will worry about them, and we will run after those things, thinking they'll satisfy, thinking they'll give us security. And Jesus says, you, my people, my disciples, Jesus' followers, we don't seek after those, we don't get caught up in the earthly provisions. Why? Because we were created for so much more because worrying about those things doesn't add anything to our lives because God cares, provides for all of creation. Won't he not provide for us? He says, my people, we get anxious about, we seek after, we run after, we treasure something different. And what does he say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That you and I, if you are in Christ, that we seek after, we get caught up in, we worry about, we stress about a different set of things. And it's not the new and improved thing. It's not the next gadget. It's not the next nice vehicle. It's not a sin to have any of those things. It's not a sin to think about those things. Jesus says, stop worrying about those things. That you and I, we've got bigger concerns. And what are we seeking? What are we concerned about? The kingdom of God his rule in our hearts, his reign in our hearts, and his righteousness, his kindness and his goodness horizontally around the earth. That you and I, believers, if you've been bought by the blood of Christ, you've been called to a different life where you treasure different things and you run after different things and you worry about different things. We get preoccupied in different things. And it's not earthly stuff. It's God's rule and his reign vertically in in this world and God's righteousness and his grace horizontally in our relationships. That's what we get caught up in. So let me ask you, join me in my misery. As you think about the last month, what has kept you up at night? Has it been the glory of God among the nations? Or has it been the appointment tomorrow? Or the money in the bank? Or... You might or might not be able to to have a nice thing. You might have to lose a nice thing. Our standard of living might be affected. So let me get caught up in that and worry about that. Jesus is saying, no, my people are called to something different. We don't seek those things. We don't treasure those things. We don't run after those things. We seek God's kingdom. We've been purchased by his blood and we run after those things. We get preoccupied in those things. We get caught up in thinking about Those things. We don't just drift aimlessly through life. All of us. We are treasure seekers. We are treasure hunters on a daily basis. We are constantly looking for something to make us feel significant and secure and satisfied and loved and whole and important and valuable. And so many of us all the time on a daily basis, so many times a day, I take my eyes off of his kingdom and I put it on the next thing that might make me happy. It might make me feel important. And Jesus is saying, get your eyes back up. You were created for something so much more than the next thing, that we don't get preoccupied in the things of the world. You and I, we should be worrying about different things than the unbelievers in our office. You and I, we should get caught up and get stressed about different things than the unbelievers on our street. What have we been anxious about? What are you worried about? It's a good sign of where your treasure is. And boy, is it embarrassing to think about all the things of this world that I have gotten caught up in worrying and stressing about and wanting and pursuing and treasuring, just like the unbelieving world around me, that I get caught up in running after those same things. And Jesus says, no, 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 seek me. Seek my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. We're all seekers. And he's the only one that can satisfy. Like I said, You might get that thing, and it will not fill the void in your soul. You might get a Ferrari, but it is still you in a Ferrari. Nothing on the outside can fix the need for fulfillment and joy and perfect peace on the inside. Might be 1,200 square foot. It might be 12,000 square foot. Not going to fix what's broken in here. So Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Don't stress about those things. Don't pursue those things. They'll give you an earthly reward, but they will not satisfy your soul. Seek me, run after me. I'm the only one that can fill that void in you. That we're called to seek a different kingdom. And let me just say this. I mentioned this earlier, but God's will for me is most likely not the next new and shiny thing. In God's grace, he allows us to get those things. He gives us the means for those things. Like I said, it's not a sin to have those things. No way this morning did I want to make anybody feel bad. If you have nice stuff, I don't want to tell you how much this shirt costs. Like I I have nice things too. Jesus isn't calling us to not think about those things or to not have those things. He's calling us to not stress about those things. Because when we stress about those things, it's showing us that we're in love with those things and we care about those things. We're treasuring those things instead of treasuring him. You see the difference? So have nice things. But like I said last week, don't trust him for a second. Don't trust him to fulfill you, to bring you peace, to bring you joy. Make all the money you want for the glory of God. But don't put your hope in it for a second. Don't get caught up in worrying and stressing about earthly things. God's will for me might not be the next big and shiny earthly blessing. In fact, it might be cancer. And you and I, we have to get to a place where we we realize that if I have Christ in me, then it doesn't matter what God gives me if he gives me a promotion tomorrow or if he gives me cancer tomorrow, he is no less kind to me. He is no less merciful to me because in Christ, he's given me something greater than anything that this world can give me and anything that death can take away from me. He's given me himself. That if cancer's my way out to get to him, great. If 70 years from now, I die in my sleep, great. It doesn't matter. Philippians 1, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That in Christ, God has allowed me to to win. How do you win in chess? You put the opponent in checkmate. In Christ, you have put the world in checkmate. I have all that I need. None of this can satisfy my soul. If you take those things away from me, I still got Christ. If you kill me, I get Christ. If you leave me here, I get to preach Christ and know Christ. It doesn't matter what you do. That if God in his kindness and his grace and his mercy would think that to give me cancer would to glorify himself more and make me love him more and cherish him more and trust him more, then he is good to do that. And if that's the ticket for me to go home, to be with him forever, then he is still good. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have got to get to a place in our hearts where he's enough. It's not worth stressing about the next thing. It's never going to be enough. He's given us his son, and he's given us all we need. And we're about to see next verse. There's trouble in this world. He says this in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. And I love this. Anytime you and I are anxious, it's always about something in the future. We're always, about, we're always anxious and worried about something that hasn't happened yet. That's the nature of anxiety. Even if you're students in the room, even if you're anxious about a test that you failed in the past, that's done. You're not anxious about that anymore. What are you anxious about? The consequences in the future and how it's gonna affect your life. All of us, we are anxious about things in the future. And what is Jesus saying? Today has enough trouble. Why would you put tomorrow's trouble on top of today's trouble. When you and I get anxious, we are doubling our trouble in the moment. It's, hey, I'm gonna take all of this trouble that hasn't happened yet, and I'm just gonna heap it on today's trouble. Jesus is saying, why would you do that? Tomorrow has enough trouble. I've given you enough to deal with today. Don't double up your trouble and add tomorrow's trouble to today. Don't add tomorrow's to today's. Don't do it. John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. What? I've overcome the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world. He doesn't just leave us alone in our trouble. He's given us his presence. He's given us himself. He's given us the gospel. He's given us his spirit inside of us that we will experience trouble, but we can take heart that he's overcome the world. I love Lamentations. Chapter three, I believe. What does God say? that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Today has enough trouble, and God has given you enough mercy for today to get through today. And guess what? You don't get tomorrow's mercies today. His mercies are new every single morning. There's a reason they are. So don't bring tomorrow's trouble on today. Why? Because you're gonna wake up tomorrow, and it's gonna have its own trouble, and you're gonna have new mercy and new grace from God to get through that trouble. They're new every morning, and his love will endure forever. But we're gonna have trouble. And notice, I love this. Jesus isn't minimizing your stress, he's not minimizing your anxiety. He's not saying, You got nothing to worry about. He says there's trouble. But he says, Don't get caught up in that. I love you, I'll provide for you. I'm your heavenly father. You're more valuable than my creation. I take care of them, I'll take care of you. Worrying doesn't get caught up, it doesn't add anything. And it cripples you from seeking my kingdom and being used for my kingdom. Don't add to tomorrow's trouble onto today's. Now, once again, is Jesus saying that it's a sin to think about tomorrow? No. It's not a sin to prepare for tomorrow. That would contradict all of Proverbs. Proverbs. It's not a sin to think about tomorrow. It's not a sin to prepare for tomorrow. It's a sin to stress about tomorrow and to get anxious about tomorrow. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't get caught up in worrying about those things. So church, as we respond and as we wrap up, here's the command. Stop being anxious. Stop being anxious about the things of this earth. Stop treasuring earthly things. Stop seeking the things of this earth. And here's the problem. We can't do that. We do this on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. You and I seek the things of this earth. We find our hope and our worth in the things of this earth. And here's the good news of the gospel, is that the God of the universe, who had all of heaven's blessings, left those, came down to earth, and did not live a lavish life. He lived a life that you and I could never live. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you wanna follow me, right? Jesus didn't have this lavish earthly lifestyle. He was born in a feeding trough. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a wife. He borrowed things. He trusted the provision of God every minute of his entire life for all 33 years in our place God himself, knowing that you and I could never meet the standard of not worrying about the things of this earth, stepped down to this earth, gave up all things, even to the point of giving up his death, death on a cross, and the whole time, every single second, fully trusted and sought the kingdom of God and depended on God to provide for him in our place. And the good news is, as he has borne on himself the greatest of troubles, God's wrath towards sin, Jesus came and bore that on himself so that you and I could have peace. So now you and I, knowing that that debt is paid, we can navigate the trouble out there with peace in here. Knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, knowing that he's gonna care for us and provide for us, and he's already given us everything we could ever need in Christ. You and I, can be we're called, we can navigate the trouble out there with peace in here because of what he has done for us. We won't seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness unless we remember that God's kingdom and God's righteousness sought us first when we weren't even looking for Him. That's the gospel is that you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, you weren't thinking about God, you were dead in your sin. We were caught up in the things of this world, we were relying on earthly treasures to fulfill us. And God sent his own son, the king himself, with the keys to the kingdom. And the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ, he sought us when we weren't seeking him. And this morning, like I said, you don't need three tips on how to be anxious this week. And they all start with the same letter or anything like that. What do do you and I need? We need to remember the gospel. That when we remember that God's kingdom and God's righteousness sought us when we were unworthy of it, we'll run after it. And we'll run after him. That's what we need. We need to remember the gospel. I'll close with this story. Um, Dr. Helmut Theick, Felix, um, His first name is actually Helmut. Um, he was a pastor in the 1940s in Germany, fresh off of World War II. And he is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount in Germany. Like I said, he was a pastor trying to preach to his congregation as a war's going on and bombs are going off and how they are called to not be anxious. And this is what he says. He says, he often alluded to the scream of air raids, sirens, alerting people yet to more devastation and death from allied bombs. What could freedom from anxiety mean in such circumstances? We know the sight and the sound of homes collapsing and flames, our own eyes have seen the red blaze, and our own ears have heard the sound of crashing, falling, and shrieking. Against that background, the command to look at the birds and the lilies might well have sounded hollow. Nevertheless, Dr. Felix went on, I think we must stop and listen. When this Jesus, whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like, points us to the carefreeness of the birds and the lilies. We're not the somber shadows of the cross already looming over this hour of the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, it is reasonable to trust in our heavenly Father's love even in times of trouble because we have been privileged to see it revealed in Christ and his cross. That at the cross, you and I saw God's great love in the midst of earthly trouble. And because we've experienced the blessings and the beauty and the benefit of the cross, you and I can rest in God's great love in our times of trouble in this life. We will have trouble, but we can take heart. We've overcome in Christ. He's overcome it for us. Church, let's not get caught up in treasuring and worrying and stressing about earthly things. Let's be a people who remember that he sought us and then we'll seek him. When we load our mind with the thoughts of the gospel that he ran after us, that the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God ran towards us, it will stir up our affections for God and then we will treasure him. And when we treasure him, we will run after him and we'll seek him. Let's do that as a people together. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, as tough as this text is, um, as wicked as my heart is, as prone to wander as my heart is. On a regular basis, I take my eyes off you. God, I'm grateful that in the gospel, you never took your eyes off me. God, that my salvation is not based on my ability to treasure you, but it's based on you treasuring me so much that you would live for me and die for my sin and give me new life in you through your resurrection. So God, help us to be a people who remember that on a daily basis. God, as Colossians 3 says, that we would set our mind on things above. God, we would treasure those things, and we would run after those things. Our only response for you seeking us is worship. So God, we respond right now. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.